Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Welcome to today's main speaker, Allison from Lansdale Beginners Group. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Hi, I'm Allison. Alcoholic. Lucy, thank you for asking me to do this. Uh, it's great to be with you guys, and if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, welcome. I don't know what I'm going to say tonight. I have nothing to say, so you better just sit down, and we'll be here till nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to say. Um, <laughs> pardon me. Um, I am so grateful to be in San Antonio. And uh, at the international convention, this is my second international. I had resentments during the last two conventions and didn't make those. And I was last in San Diego in 95 and <clears throat> had a great time there. So I hope you all have a wonderful weekend while you're here. I, um, you know, I, I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I did not feel that way when I got here. I, uh, I just knew that I could no longer take a drink and I didn't know what y'all were going to require of me. I just knew that I needed to not be living the way I was living. And um, I will tell you, you know, I have, I have two sisters and a brother. We're all been, somehow my parents got cursed with the four of us because we've all suffered from this thing in one way or another. But um, I started drinking at the age of 15. I grew up in Alvin, Texas, a few hundred miles east of here. And uh, I, I, I hated Alvin, Texas. I, yeah. I hate country music. I thought, yeah, when I was growing up, it was, it was my siblings. I've heard people up here blaming people, talking about blaming other people for their problems, and it was my siblings' fault. It was the fact that uh, when I turned 13, I turned into a giant pimple. Uh, that was why I was feeling so bad. It was because I hated country music and rice farming, which is all that was around me at the time. And, um, when I was 15 years old, I had my first drunk. Now I have an older sister who's, uh, entertained coming here. And uh, she was always more popular than me, my sister. She was uh, well-known. She was a great athlete. But she was also a drinker. And uh, when I was that age, like I said, I was like a big zit, I thought. And uh, I was very insecure. I felt terrible. I felt really ugly. And I wanted to be popular like my sister. And, uh, you know, it occurred to me, if I could be a cheerleader like my sister, then you would pretty much all know that I was better than you. And I don't know if any of y'all... <laughs> And, and, and that was my solution to my life. But, um, you know, my sister drank, too. And, and uh, I, I decided at the end of my freshman year in high school I was going to get drunk. And uh, I, I had someone buy me a bottle of Strawberry Hill. Uh, I wanted Tickle Pink, got the Strawberry Hill. I drank a six-pack of beer that night, and my life changed. Uh, the, the, um, the insanity of being just consumed with myself. Uh, I wasn't ugly anymore when I drank that night. The magic of alcohol and the solution that alcohol brought into my life happened that night in 1992. Uh, that, no, that's the year I got sober, 1983. And uh, I loved drinking. You know, I, um, alcohol was the solution for me. Alcohol was the power that I needed in my life that I didn't have. 
and I felt magical. I was now attractive. I was now one that fit in. And I never knew uh, that alcohol was going to provide that solution for me. I just knew that when my sister drank, she was popular. You know, my sister dated, and uh, I, you know, I wanted to date, and uh, I found a lot more than that when I drank. Um, <laughs> first night of my, first night I got drunk, I, you know, the magic of alcohol happened for me. I felt powerful in my life. I got a big hickey on my neck, and that was the kind of the pattern of what happened to me for the next 12 years every time I took a sip. And I, when I was 18 years old, I moved to Los Angeles, California. I decided that um, I thought... I told my parents I wanted to be in fashion merchandising, and I was going to go to a fashion school in downtown L.A. The, the subtitle of all that was that there was this singer in this band, and I knew. <laughs> his name was David Lee Roth, and he sung for this band called Van Halen. And I, I knew if he just laid his eyes upon me, all would be good in the world. And I, I, um, I moved to L.A. to find him and marry him. And I, and I, went, to, I went to Los Angeles when I was 18 years old. And... Uh, it took me 11 years to find him, but that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I'm in Los Angeles. I live outside of downtown Los Angeles. I'm 18 years old. I'm, I'm going to fashion school for one semester, and I dropped out. And uh, I, 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 my roommate is from uh, Seattle, Washington, and they grow some wonderful things up there. But I had this roommate from Seattle, and I, didn't, I was terrified. I was terrified of living in L.A. I was a little... You know, a, kind of a, like a redneck chick living you know, in big city Los Angeles, terrified. And drinking really helped me to feel some power in my life. Alcohol allowed me to get through those days in L.A. when I was new to the city. I uh, found school to be rather boring, and David Lee Roth wasn't in fashion school, so there was no reason to really go there. I was hitchhiking. I started hitchhiking and hanging out in the bars in Hollywood and, and chasing anybody who said he wanted to make an album. <laughs> I spent I spent, I spent 12 years trolling the streets of Hollywood and uh, hanging out in concerts and backstage and doing those kinds of things and giving up any any type of integrity or self-respect my parents ever tried to teach me. Um, I had absolutely no sense of self-worth. I was a scared little girl trying to get through this world using any skills I thought I had, and it didn't involve my brain. And uh, that was my life. I, uh, you know, I didn't know how to live amongst you all. I didn't know how I was going to be okay around you. I was continually looking for a power greater than myself in my life. And when I wasn't drunk, it, I was looking for some guy to make me feel like I was going to be safe. Uh, my life was miserable. It was very redundant. Uh, it involved you know, a few square blocks in Los Angeles, and it was ugly. Um, in 1991, I was working, um, I was working uh, down at the Santa Monica Pier. I, I, I became a bartender. Uh, no big surprise there. I was working on the Santa Monica Pier as a bartender. They were closing the Santa Monica Pier so that they could rebuild and build the amusement park that's there now. And I got laid off, and so I was out of work for a while. I, I was living with a girl at that time who was dating a friend of mine, and she had a wonderful career. She made tons of money. And she, um, she got lots of attention, and I said, you know, I, you know, do you think I could get an interview at your company? And she said, sure, let me look into it. And I'm 26 years old, and, and, I, and I, go into this, uh, uh, I go into the Hollywood Tropicana Female Foxy Boxing Bar, and I became, <laughs> she was a mud wrestler from Long Island, New York. <laughs> and um, 
towards the end of my drinking, I became a cocktail waitress at, at the Hollywood Tropicana. I didn't quite have the self-esteem of donning a bathing suit and dancing in front of you, but uh, I could do it in lingerie, and that's how I <laughs> made my income. And uh, that was the last year of my drinking. Um, at that time, you know, uh, my father was sick in Texas. He, uh, he, uh, there had been a lot of separation with him. My father was strict. He, uh, he was kind of a hero of mine. My father was an aerospace engineer, and, and um, I didn't like discipline in my life, and I really separated myself from him. And at the time that I'm working at the Tropicana, my father got sick, and uh, he had a disease called Lou Gehrig's disease. And I found it difficult to spend time with my father and fly back to see him, frankly, because his disease and his terminal illness made me uncomfortable, and I, quite frankly, I resented him for putting me in that position to have to spend time with him. How dare he? I couldn't get drunk going to his house. He couldn't, he couldn't pick up his own fork. He would fall on the ground in parking lots. He would be embarrassed. How dare he put me in a position not to be drunk and deal with him? <laughs> that was my thinking. And um, on February 14th of 1992, my father passed away. And, uh, and I found it quite uh, advantageous to me to let that be used for you to buy me booze and uh, I went back to work at the Tropicana I went to my father's funeral and um, and uh, used that as an opportunity for a new black dress quite frankly and and that was as good of a daughter as I could be when I was 27 years old deep into my drinking at the age of 27 and uh, that year was a lot of drinking I worked at the Santa Monica Pier again that summer and at the end of that summer I was gonna take those three days off during the start of the school year and go work on my tan in Palm Springs because any young lady knows it's really all about how you look and uh, I didn't I didn't I didn't make it that far um, in the fall of 1992 I had uh, I had had enough I was with my sister who was living in Los Angeles at that time we had been drinking for several days and um, hanging out with people we probably shouldn't have been hanging out with and at the end of three days of that debacle uh, lots of tequila I came to on the morning of September 24th in 1992 Faced, uh, having that moment of clarity, um, faced with the truth about myself as I saw it at that time. And there were two things I remember on that morning of September 24th. And they were that there was absolutely nothing I could do not to take a drink that day unless I had some help. And I also knew that uh, there was nothing I could do to change my life in the way that I was living at that moment. That if I didn't get some help from somebody, that by the end of that day, it was going to be just another day like the previous day was. And I couldn't fathom the idea of continuing the way that I was living. And I think one of the really fortunate things for me is that I knew someone in Alcoholics Anonymous. That kind of happens when you're a bartender. <laughs> you run into people who end up missing from your bar seats. And um, there was a woman, there, there was an article in Language of the Heart uh, called uh, Emotional Sobriety, The Next Frontier. And Bill Wilson describes a faulty emotional dependency. And that's what this woman was for me. She was someone who lived in money, property, and prestige, which really I should have tattooed on my forehead. It's always been a desire of mine, all those. And this woman was, had been very wealthy. She was from London and had an international family. She had been very, very successful at modeling. And she was an alcoholic, and she had gotten sober three years prior to me coming into AA. And she had always extended the hand of AA for me. And she had always been trying to be a good friend to me. But I didn't like those new AA friends. I didn't drink. And uh, they were taking my friend away. I didn't want to be around them. And I, and, and, um, I didn't go to meetings with her. But uh, on the morning of 19, uh, uh, September 24th, 1992, I called her, and I was out of my mind, and she said, you know what, I'll come down and see you at work today. 
And so at noon, she showed up in the front door of that restaurant. I never remember seeing anybody so beautiful with clear blue eyes and standing tall and and elegant. And she sat down with me on my lunch break and talked to me about Alcoholics Anonymous. And she suggested I probably should go to a meeting. And I found myself at my first meeting of AA the next night. I was on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, and they actually let me into that city. That's how I felt about it. Uh, I, was, I was quite fashionable. I mean, we're talking 1992 in, in black spandex, spiked boots, and leather jackets. And, and I, I walked into this beautiful Romanesque church in, uh, in Beverly Hills, and uh, there were these three men standing off to the side inside the gates of this church, and there was this very scary guy standing there. And, and I'll tell you why he was scary, because he looked kind of like Brett does tonight. Except he had patches, leather patches on his elbows. The guys were wearing khaki pants, sport coats, and collared shirts. And I knew when I got here, and I wasn't going to admit it out loud, but I really wasn't good enough to be around people, men who wore sport coats and khaki pants with creases down the front. And he turned around and he asked me, he said, how long are you sober? I said, today's my first day. He said, I'm really glad you're here. Welcome to AA. And I thought... Yeah, you just want to date me. <laughs> that's that was kind of that's kind of like a default mode for me, you know. And uh, at that time, and 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 I went to this meeting, and you know, I haven't had to take a drink since that day. That was September 25th. But I'll tell you what, I did find it necessary to do, and I didn't quite elaborate on that till I did my first inventory. After that meeting at Rodeo Drive, I don't remember what anybody said, but I kind of remember what I wore. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, went, I, went, I went to a, um, I, you know, I hadn't slept for three days prior to that, and, and I went to that meeting. And after the meeting, I found it necessary to go to my local pharmacy and get some uh, cough medicine that would help me sleep that night. And I, and, I, and I had to change my sobriety date to September 26th, and that's my sobriety date today. You know, I don't take anything that affects me from the neck up today because I, really, I want to be clean and so I want to be sober today. And um, what happened for me is that I, I, I got excited about Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I started going to meetings in Hollywood because that's where all the musicians were. And uh, I... I you know, I went to this Tuesday night, Tuesday night meeting, and I realized that I had not dated anybody in that meeting, and I thought that it would be a great place for me to start <laughs> getting sober, and um, I went with my friend, and, and she introduced me to the program. But then, you know, I had gotten some father, uh, some money from my father's estate after that, um, after he had passed, and so I got me a little apartment down in Venice Beach and um, got me a little car, and, and I really thought that it was kind of extreme to now, you know, drive seven miles to Beverly Hills in Hollywood to go to a meeting. So I just started staying down in Venice Beach because, you know, if you're going to be cool, you got to go to Venice. And uh, that was, uh, there, was, there was, like, tattoos and piercings all over Second Hill meeting on Venice Beach, and that's where I'd go. And um, I wasn't here for all the right reasons when I got here. I wasn't. I wasn't writing spiritual principles in order to stay sober when I first came here. I was trying not to live the life I was living, and I kept showing up. I was excited that I wasn't drinking, and I didn't know why I wasn't drinking. I just know that I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was meeting some really nice people who seemed to have... They were excited about their lives, and I didn't really know what it was they were doing, but I found myself uh, at two and a half years of going to noon meetings. I had returned to my infamous career of bartending on the beach and um, two and a half years and I'm going to noon meetings if I could get out of bed in time to make it and I used to see this guy there and he had 16 years of sobriety and he was a real attraction of that meeting people were always wanting to shake his hand and he always got asked to share and he made everybody laugh in that meeting and and I was really attracted to something that he had and I didn't realize that he, there was a power in his life and um I asked him to have coffee with me because I figured he wanted to date me, right? <laughs> and-
and uh, I and we went down to Joni's Coffee Roasters in Marina Del Rey, and uh, they would have these clear coffee mugs. And he was drinking black coffee at that time, and he said, "Can you see through the black coffee in the lower half of this coffee mug?" And I said, "No." He goes, "Well, that's." You and I'm like okay. He goes. He goes. Have you ever read the Big Book? Maybe, probably not. But on page 55 of the Big Book, it says that deep down inside every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God, though he may be obscured by pomp, by calamity, and by the worship of other things. He goes. That's where you are. And I thought, holy crap! There's someone that can read my mind. You know, I knew at that moment that he knew exactly what was going on with me. But.、Um, I had these two Pantera tickets in my back pocket, <laughs> and I was not going to get into any kind of action in there at that point because I wasn't going to miss that show. <laughs> and so two weeks later, after taking a newcomer to that concert, who for some reason got drunk while we were there, <laughs> I didn't tell his girlfriend that, but. <laughs> I,、um, I found myself going to work one day, and, and I was working at a, at a bar over in UCLA,、uh, in the village over there. I got busted for serving a minor. I got sent home and fired from that job, and there was no one for me to call. I didn't have any friends of NAA. I used to go to this noon meeting in my in my gym workout outfit, and.、Uh, I would body hug the men with my legs and my arms at the door, because I'm, you know, I when I came here, I was using every skill I knew when I got here, and it wasn't sobriety, it wasn't spiritual principles. I was the girl that came in and sat in the front row, right about the time the meeting started. I'm the girl who would get up during the meeting to walk back in my spandex pants to get a cup of coffee so the guys could check it out. <laughs> and、uh, that, that's what I knew. I mean, that was the power. I, yeah, this is what I was looking for attention. And so, I,、uh, by the time I was desperate, I was I was not drinking. I was not working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was not into action here. I was what my sponsor later called a typhoid Mary because I was spreading the disease of AA in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous.、Yeah. He was the only person I knew to call, and he said、uh, he took my phone call, and he said.、Uh, Oh great! You know now that you're not working, I'm speaking at a convention out in Palm Springs this week, and you can come out here and stay with the other women I, I sponsor, and、uh, you can get involved. And I said, "Did you hear what I said? I just got fired from my job. I don't have any money." And he hung up on me. <laughs> uh, I had a, I had a Jack Daniels jar full of quarters, and I、uh, called him back, and I said, "Okay, where am I going?" He says, "This is the hotel we're going to be at." And I've got fifty dollars worth of quarters, and I drove ninety-five miles to Palm Springs, and there I was. And then I realized who the women were that he sponsored. I hated those girls. <laughs> they look like these three back here: Petty, Nicole, and, and <laughs> Lucy. Yeah, they were they were girls who dressed like ladies. They were committed to Alcoholics Anonymous. They got to meetings early. They stayed with the women. They tried to be of service. They took commitments no matter where they went. I couldn't stand them. <laughs> Because, like that guy that I met my first night in Alcoholics Anonymous, those women, women represented everything that I wasn't, and that was a lady, and that was a woman with integrity and self-respect, and that wasn't me. I hated them, and、um, and I boy did I get lucky because a couple weeks later, after not having any money, I got to move in with those girls. <laughs> And they brought over their cars to my one-room apartment that had 11 pictures of myself.
with these crazy, dedicated women of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got into this apartment. I lived with three other women. And I had a job in my apartment. I had to, we rotated cleaning schedules in every room of the house. And when Wayne suggested, he goes, I want you to get a job where you work nine to five. I want you to go to meetings at night of Alcoholics Anonymous every night of the week and get a commitment. I want you to be of service and go to meetings where there's enthusiasm for AA. He goes, I suggest based on your history, that you might want to leave the men alone for a little while. <laughs> and I could do that. And uh, so I got stuck with these women taking commitments, and I got very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. We discovered, I discovered conventions all over Southern California, and Wayne said to me, you know, AA works. He goes, I want you to go to this home group, but AA works all over, and I want you to see how it works wherever you go. And we got very active, and here's what's happened is I just, I stuck with those women, and God, I hated them for a long, long time. And because they told me the truth about myself, they demanded that I be accountable for my behavior and my actions. I didn't like it one bit. I'm a bit of a princess. And um, I, would, I would never even admitted that till, fi- till I was 15 years sober. Hey, good luck, Kelly. <laughs> women saved my life and I left the men alone and they were very lucky (laughs) and uh, I got active in Alcoholics Anonymous and I started to find the value of the relationships I had with the women in AA and um, I learned how to become a lady I learned how to stand up for myself I learned how to be a contributing member of Alcoholics Anonymous and by doing that I started to become a good citizen in my community around me I got a job making six dollars and fifty cents an hour and I hated that place. And when members of my home group would come in there, I would hide behind a desk because I was so embarrassed I worked there. But quite frankly, my, I was working at Kinko's. And um, when I, I was not capable of doing the job, you guys. I was not smart enough to handle my job. And I was with that company for five years and actually became one of the managers of that job along with one of my A sisters who worked together. And, uh, you know, I, what I found out is that it didn't matter how I felt. I had to show up. I just had to take the direction. It didn't matter how I felt. I just had to do what I was asked. And um, one of the great things Wayne said to me, he says, I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you like what I say. You just do as I say. And don't judge yourself in your own recovery and how you heal. Other people will show it to you first. And uh, I was getting better, and I found a joy in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was about five years sober before I could say I really loved it here. And the less I resisted what I needed to do, the more I was able to really enjoy my time in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I didn't date for four and a half years in AA, you know, and uh, that was good. <laughs> but I, but I, you know, I finally got hungry. I was really, I was really ready for someone to buy me dinner. And, uh, <laughs> gentleman in my home group that uh, wouldn't leave me alone (laughs) and he was probably the first man I ever showed interest that had a job and uh, so after a couple of months of of following me around he asked me out and um, he became my husband in 2000 we've been married almost 10 years and and he still has a job that's great so that's been good Um, (laughs) I had an AA brother and um, been 10 years and I still can't talk about him. We sponsored a group of guys, a, a couple, they had a big group in Las Vegas, wonderful active members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and then they moved down to San Diego and we'd go down and play basketball. We didn't play volleyball, then we played basketball and Wayne said, there's nothing more fun than watching a bunch of alcoholics try to play team sports. <laughs> 
and this guy he sponsored, uh, Mike, um, got sick. And I didn't know Mike that well. I thought he was kind of whiny, but he did sponsor a lot of guys, and he had more time than me, so I couldn't say that out loud. <laughs> and um, but Mike was a nice guy, and, and uh, he got sick, and he, and he, you know, he didn't have a good prognosis for his illness. And uh, you know, Mike got Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, I remember playing basketball on the court, and I was covering Mike, and uh, he collapsed on the court, and he couldn't get up off the court, and I fell apart worse than I am now, and I couldn't, I couldn't. You know, I was never of service to my father when he fell. And uh, Wayne demanded that Mike get up off the court. He's like, you you don't know the kind of example you're going to be to other people. You can't quit. He did start smoking, though. <laughs> smoking wasn't going to get him anytime soon. <laughs> Mike started chain smoking. <laughs> to be a service to Mike. You know, me and the girls that I lived with, we all would go to San Diego every Friday and take Mike a meeting. And Mike had a group of guys in San Diego that drove him to L.A. every Wednesday night in this band that they got. And he, you know, he got to speak at our home group and he got really emotional because he couldn't control his emotions anymore. And we'd be all out in the crowd snapping at him to tell him to get it together. And, and uh, you know, I got to help. I got to be a service to him. And in some small way, I got to make amends to my father. And so... Um, we lost Mike in 1999, and I got I got engaged the day after that. Maybe not the best timing, but uh, <laughs> that's that's how that worked out. And um, you know, I just I could not have written that script. I could have not have predicted the kind of people I meet in Alcoholics Anonymous. The opportunity I have to be of service, I could never I could never tell you. It's just that uh, I showed up. You know, I I did what I was asked to do, and I came here. And things unfolded the way they unfolded. And because you're showing up here, you never know what, what's going to lie in store for us. I, uh, I somehow got snickered into moving to Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> I moved to Pennsylvania two years ago. My husband's from there, um, and he wanted to be back home. He wanted to be where snow landed for some reason. And, you know, and so now we have this loving, happy family. Um, I have two boys. <laughs> two sons who are the life of my life and uh, uh, they're with their aunt this weekend and I get to be a mom today and uh, I have to practice every day on how to figure out how to do that. Thank you Nicole for helping me with that one. And uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, I've become the kind of uh, person that I never wanted to be when I was new. Um, I, I have, I have a life where I, I, get to, I get to take my kids to Little League. I get to do stuff with the PTA. <laughs> you know, I, I get to work at the YMCA. I mean, this is like, woo! I, I mean, it sounds like that, but actually, you know what? I love, I love that. I love being a mom, and, and I love screaming at my kids every day. And uh, I got to start a meeting called the Lansdale Beginners Group in, 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 in Pennsylvania, and they're so not used to what we do. And... Um, the, the, the core members of that meeting, which is almost three months old, is people with over 20 years. They love it. I feel so, I feel excited about it. I'm so, I'm so fortunate. And, um, I, you know, and then I get to come here and I get to come here and see people who identify with me that I, we talk the same language and I wouldn't, I would not be, a year ago I was in Akron for Founders Day and, um, I, I left Wayne's sponsorship for 10 years. Because I was looking for that half measures group that really had it going on. And um, I, found, 
I, I thought I was, I, was, I was going down the drain. I was not doing well. I showed up in Akron, and I was at a meeting. on. Thir- we did this in Akron last year at Founders Day, and, 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 and these people were there, and I was sitting in the back, and I was crying. Because they all had it going on, and I was completely separated because I'd been doing it my way for ten years, trying to make it work. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, I'm back in the fold, and the last year has been a lot of change, and it's been tremendous. And uh, I, I'm so grateful for the hope in my life today. So I welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. I wish for all of you a tremendous weekend here in San Antonio, and. Thank you for my life today. Very grateful. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.